The Lord be with you. It's good to be with you all today. It feels like spring, right? Like this is not usually, like autumn ought to be orange and dark colors and I feel like, okay. But today is like a springtime weather and summer temperatures in my, in my opinion. It was, uh, some of us were in this room about 14 hours ago where we welcomed a number of you who are part of the August Fall 2019 new members class. And so we have 17 new members who have joined the Village Church. And so we want to welcome those of our sisters and brothers. Can you just put your hands up if you were, if you were one? Where's the other? Where's another person? Yeah. So 17. So we welcome you. Well, today we're going to continue our a Bible study series this fall that uh, Jack began in September on life together and what it means to be community. We as a church have been looking at what it means to be community in, within the household of faith, right, within the church. We also looked at what it means to be a community in the presence of God, and then throughout this month of November, what it means to be in community with and in the world, with and in the world. And so we'll be looking at uh, two key texts in the Old and New Testament, Jeremiah 29 and 1 Peter 2. Please join me in prayer. Almost gracious and loving Father, we thank you for the freshness and newness of this day. As you gather us in the name of Jesus Christ by the call of your Holy Spirit, that indeed wherever two or three are gathered in your name, you are here. And we're grateful that any time and every time we can gather together in community uh, to seek you and to seek your wisdom, to seek your truth, to seek and to receive your love in Jesus Christ. We are truly blessed, O God. I thank you, O Lord, for all who are here and those not able to be with us, Lord. We pray your blessing to extend to them as you bless us now. Lord, might you deepen our love for you, our love for uh, for one another, and indeed for the world for which you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to live, to die for, and to rise for. Lord, guide us now into your wisdom, into your very heart. We pray these things in the blessed name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord and Savior. Amen. All righty, I want to invite you um, to open up your Bibles to First Jeremiah 29. And beginning with the 10th verse, let us hear the word of the Lord. For thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then, when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. 
and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. And then, in the New Testament, in uh, the Apostle Peter's first letter, chapter 2, beginning with verse 13. For the Lord's sake, accept the authority of every human institution, whether of the emperor as supreme or of governors, as sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to praise those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing right, you should silence the ignorance of the foolish. As servants of God, live as free people. Yet do not use your freedom as a pretext for evil. Honor everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our beloved uh, communications coordinator, Kaylee Vigil, is now, the next time you see her, Mrs. Kaylee Alegria. And so when you see her in a three weeks or so when she comes back, congratulate her and her husband, Jeffrey. Her wedding was in a beautiful public space even though by invitation, but nevertheless in a, in a public space. And weddings are held in a public space, not in a little private corner, right? But it's in, it's in full view. Likewise, with baptism, now we pastors, and Jack and Jan can attest to this, where we've been on the receiving end of phone calls of folks who would call and... Uh, those who are not members of the church uh, can call and say, you know, will you baptize my child? And if they're not members of the church, we'll invariably ask them, well, will we see you the next Sunday or the next weeks? And 50% of the time, they'll say, yes, you know, we're interested in, in learning about what it means to be a Presbyterian, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a member of your church. The other 50% is a long pause followed by maybe a few seconds that says, no, we'll just ask the Catholic Church to baptize our child. But it's a, it's a teaching opportunity for us to share with them that baptism, like a wedding, is a public act. It's done in full view of the whole community for the family to indicate that we are committing, just like a, just like a couple being married, we are committing certain promises and vows, and the congregation saying, we welcome you. We are committing our lives to you in nurturing you in your walk with Jesus. Likewise, when we, when we worship together, all are welcome. All are, the act of worship is done in, in full view. When we exercise our faith in public, there is a necessary public witness to what we do. To be in full view of the world, where the world to see, where the world is welcome into the gathering. Now, of course, being in full view, there's also a certain risk. And that was announced uh, two days ago, or at least past Sunday, when Pastor Jack had shared that there would be one uh, uh, safety officer that was present here, unarmed and so forth. 
that's a risk that we have as a public community, public act. Jeremiah 29 and 1 Peter 2 are talking about what it means for the community of God to exercise faith, to exercise our commitment to God publicly in full view while still being community, while still being the people of God. And what we'll find in Jeremiah 29 and in 1 Peter are at least two approaches, right? And there have been at least three approaches in Scripture and in human history of how is it we engage the public world or how do we engage um, those in power, those in authority, particularly when those in power and authority are either impinging or challenging faith, uh, whether they are suppressing, oppressing, subjugating, whether they're lording over. Uh, what are those three responses? One response uh, to any power and authority, whether in government or your boss, right? A company, an insurance company, or whatever might be the case, whoever in power and authority, but in this case, we're talking about government. One response is uh, to flee, flight, to leave, right? That's one response. Um, we know that from uh, Moses and the Israelites, Moses um, telling a message from God, let my people go, right? His, his stiff-necked hard-headedness, his intransigence, then led God to uh, have the Israelites flee, flee Egypt, leave that which is oppressing you. That's one response, right? A second response, which is what Jeremiah's focus uh, is, is to remain is to flourish, is to stay right where you are, is to exercise faith, plant roots, and be who you are. But what will make it so painful a little bit in Jeremiah's case is it's not only stay, remain, live, abide, and so forth, but as we'll see, what God is saying to his people through Jeremiah's word is not only stay, but stay there a really long time, wait it out for 70 years, and here's the kicker, and pray. Pray that the very city and the very government that is oppressing you, the Babylonians, pray that they flourish too. Okay, so we'll get to that in a, in a moment. The other response, again, historically, biblically, is if it's not to flee or flight, to leave, if it's not to flourish or to remain, a third one is to fight, to protest, to openly protest against powers, authorities, governments, and so forth. Do we see that example as well in Scripture? Absolutely. We know from the prophet Daniel when, uh, when King Darius gave his edict, gave his imperial decree uh, to only pray to him, to only give your allegiance to him, what did the prophet Daniel do? 
He resisted it. He prayed nevertheless several times. He was reported to the authorities. And what happened? He was hauled off to the lion's den, and we know the rest of the story, and so did the Sunday school children, right? Daniel did that. He protested. Were there times when the apostles themselves also protested against the uh, Roman Empire? Yes, they did, right? Uh, Over and against both religious authorities and the political authorities, uh, the apostles, as as is recounted for us in the book of Acts in the New Testament, went against Uh, the authoritative orders in order to be true to the witness of the gospel that they were undeterred to share the message of the gospel and when hauled before the authorities, right, they gave a public witness, whether it be to King Agrippa, whether it be to Festus, whether it be to the emperor himself, they were undeterred even though it was regarded as unlawful and illegal because of their allegiance to Jesus and to their allegiance and conviction and confidence in the power and promise of the gospel. So those are the at least three responses, both biblically and historically. And, and for your small groups, I would invite and encourage you. That's one of the questions. Can you think of, of Christians, uh, uh, historical figures outside of Scripture who did one of those three responses, or maybe all of those three? who either fled oppression, uh, fled evil, or what was regarded as evil? Um, Do you know of Christians, people of God, who out of their own sense of faith and conviction remained in a place of deep challenge to their faith? And can you think of other examples, maybe in your own life or in others that you know of in history, who resisted? who openly protested against powers and authorities, even if it was regarded as illegal. Okay, so we'll get to those later. So let's look at Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29 is uh, prophet Jeremiah, as I note here, was one of those prophets who wrote uh, his prophecy to the Israelites who were led in captivity. Right, so brief one-minute summary. Uh, 6th century B.C., what happened? The Assyrian Empire attacks the northern kingdom, right? By this time, Israel is split into uh, two kingdoms, northern kingdom, southern kingdom. Northern kingdom, capital city in Samaria. Southern kingdom, named Judah, capital city in Jerusalem. The Assyrian armies come, ransack Samaria and the northern kingdom. Babylonian armies a few decades later come and besiege the southern kingdom, Jerusalem. King Nebuchadnezzar, in the first wave, there's two waves of the captivity, take some of the Israelites uh, from uh, Jerusalem, and from Judah, and haul them over uh, to Babylon, present-day Iraq. If you were here last Sunday and heard Pastor Jack's uh, uh, report on Iraq and Syria. I think that will be posted on the uh, church website in the next few days or so or a week. Uh, and a fascinating account. But you get this notion of, okay, so here are the Israelites being hauled off and to add more pain to the wound, not only are they hauled off away from their home, away from uh, their 
their family and their place of exercising faith, but the temple is destroyed. And we've spoken at length before of the importance, the significance, the centrality of the temple, that physical space that was for all intents and purposes for the um, Israelites, that was their village church. That was their 6225 Paseo Delicias. That was their space. Where they gather, where God meets them, where they sing, where they praise God, where they understood that this is when we come here, we are community. That's destroyed, utterly in rubble. So, hauled off, temple destroyed, here comes King Nebuchadnezzar, and then there's a second wave of a captivity, another set of captives sent. With these two waves, some prophets, some of the Old Testament prophets are hauled off, and some prophets remain. Some Israelites are also sent uh, to Egypt, and so we have communities, some in Egypt, some in Israel, Judah, and some in the captivity, they are dispersed. They are a scattered people. Are they still a community? The Old Testament prophets, all of them, what is their role as prophets? One is, of course, to be faithful to the word that God gives them. And what is that word? For some prophets, it's to talk about why all of this is happening. Why why is all of this happening? Because you haven't been paying attention to, uh, to the injustice around you, to caring for the poor, to caring for the orphans, to caring for the widow, to attending to right worship. Uh, both orthodoxy, right, right belief, and orthopraxy, right practice. You're not doing the right thing. You're not caring for what God cares for, for loving your neighbor and the stranger and so forth. You're not attending to proper worship. So, The prophets, all the Old Testament prophets, share uh, why all these things are happening and, at the same time, to give them hope, right? That God is going to deliver you. God is still with you. God is still loving you. God is in pursuit of you. And then a third one, very important, which is connected to our purpose here. You are still God's community. You are still God's beloved, And therefore, you are still to be community and live that way. Uh, Still pay attention to the promises of the, you know, of old. Remember the stories. Remember the stories that your your Jewish mothers and grandmothers taught you. Remember the feast and the festivals that ground us um, as a people. Attend to those things. Remember our history in creation, in the flood, in Abraham, in Moses and the Exodus, remember those stories that build the fabric of our faith and build the fabric of our community and don't forget it no matter what happens. Okay, so those are the three purposes of why the prophets write. To tell why things are happening as they are, the upheaval, the cataclysmic events. Number two, to reaffirm and to fill them with confidence and conviction that God is still with us and still with you He will not let us go, notwithstanding what we see and experience outside of us. And number three, because you and I are still God's beloved community, that will not change. Let us continue to live in that community. Let's not forget our identity. Let us have our life together, whether here in Israel, Judah, whether it's in Babylon, 
in a foreign land, whether it's in Egypt or any place else, we are still the community of God, notwithstanding that the temple is no longer. So Jeremiah writes this letter to the, to the captives, and as I note here in your, in, your, um, in your outline, he tells them to wait for 70 years, because what will happen in 70 years? After the Babylonian Empire comes the Persian Empire, King Cyrus the Great, Um, will order their return, those captives, back to to Judah. And then the second temple is rebuilt. And we have the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah that will recount that rebuilding effort. And as the second temple is rebuilt, as well, it parallels the rebuilding and restoration of the people and their faith. Their faith is being restored and being rebuilt in conjunction with the rebuilding of that second temple. And that second temple will stand until 70 AD in the first century when then the Roman Empire comes in, besieges Jerusalem again, and destroys for which only the remnants of the uh, Western Wailing Wall stands. And of course, we know it's called the Wailing Wall because people wailed. Uh, People cried um, at the utter massacre, at the utter massacre of uh, the residents and inhabitants of Jerusalem. The book of Revelation is a a very uh, graphic account in symbolic language of that great desecration and massacre that is uh, buttressed and confirmed by the historical accounts of such folks as Herodotus uh, in talking about that great besieging of, of Jerusalem. And so that is the sort of the thumbnail history of how this particular text um, comes to us. So Jeremiah, again, writes this note to the, to the captives, and what is, what is his message? His message is only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Now, to which place? Bring you back to Jerusalem. Can you imagine you and I being told by God that you're going to be kidnapped? Trust God. And by the way, you're going to be gone for 70 years. And not only seven years, but what you ought to do, and I skip this part, I'm sorry, so let me just read it now, verses 4 through 9 of Jeremiah 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat what they produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets and the diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, says the Lord. Okay, that's what he said. And then he goes on to talk about the 70. He's saying in no uncertain terms that they are to stay. And, and 
their staying looks like this. Take residence. Make yourself at home. Build homes. Now, talk about, um, you know, farm to table. Like, don't seek other produce outside. Grow, make your own gardens. Well, that takes a long time, right? I'm not much of a gardener. But when you plant that seed and you're waiting and waiting, there is no quick thing about that. And intermarry. And have your children have children. So it's not just wait for your little toddlers to grow up into teenagers and young adults and so forth and have them marry, but then you're going to see that they flourish, their families flourish, um, and then you're going to wait until uh, they have children. Um, That's a long time. And the message essentially is, yeah, make yourself at home, be comfortable there, and then the kicker, as I said, is, and by the way, the prosperity of Babylon is your prosperity. I mean, this is like putting Jesus' message, love your enemies, to the hilt. God, are you really saying that we're to be away from our home that long? Okay, so let me get this straight. To be away that long, we're already put asunder. You want us to stay here to get really comfortable, plant roots, and to pray that Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar and the mayor of Babylon and all the others in our town, the people whom we don't know, we're going to pray that they also flourish. And we're left in disbelief. We know of our prophet so this is a community. We know of another prophet who sort of resisted something like that, right? His name was Jonah, right? When he was instructed by God, go to Nineveh and preach repentance, that my love is even for the Ninevites. Jonah's resistance is our heart's resistance as well. Like, God, you got to give me a break here. Are you kidding me? And that's precisely what Jeremiah is saying. That a response, remember the three responses to governments, authorities, and powers, etc., is you remain, you stay put. Now, in the midst of staying put, because the human heart, as exemplified by Jonah and even just our own hearts, where we're doubting and wondering, God, are you sure that you want us to do that? It's going to take really long because we don't belong here. We belong in Jerusalem, our home. What are they to do? And what are we to do when we're confronted likewise with challenges in the world? It says there in the following verses, verses 13 through uh, 13 and 14, what are we to do and what did the Israelites, what are they called to do? To continually seek the Lord, right? To continually seek the Lord with all your heart, it says. To call upon the Lord, to call upon the Lord, um, to pray to Him, it says. And so here's this sort of, I don't want to say double life, but an integrated life. It is authentically sort of investing in the place that we're at. Yeah, we don't really belong here, but we do belong here, right? It's not double speak, it's 
this is the way that, that God intends for our life to be, isn't it? Yeah, we don't belong in this land, but on the same breath, we do. Um, we don't really, we're not really sure, but on the other hand, yes, we are sure. We're not sure that we belong here. We're not sure, um, God, that you're going to outlast those seven years because we're not sure if we're going to last that long. At the same breath, we are sure because we're confident in you. You're the one who's the certain one. What God is doing here, what Jeremiah is doing here is saying that whether you are in Babylon, whether you are in Jerusalem, whether you are in Egypt, where is your home? but in the very heart of God. That is a powerful lesson for people of faith. We are always at home in the heart of God. That's a difficult pill to swallow because that doesn't come easily. It doesn't come easily because our human nature impinges on one, seven years is a long time, Two, we are surrounded on all sides by the enemy, by the one who ransacked and pillaged our home, our temple, our house of worship, right? And so it's not, it's not an easy pill to swallow. Let's affirm that. But the lesson and the principle that is being taught here is, is that the steadfastness is not our steadfastness. It's the steadfastness of God himself. We are at home in the heart of God. Now, even as we are gathered here in this space, in our physical home, if you will, on this campus, whenever we're gathered here, when we disperse to go off to our homes or to travel, you know, when our children your children, grandchildren, etc., goes off into different places, different parts of the world, are they at home? Right? Not coming home for Thanksgiving or Christmas or what have you, but are they at home? And we pray, right, as parents, as grandparents, that they're always at home because of all that you and I have taught them, right? Our love, prayers, all those lessons that you've taught at the hearth, the living room, the dining room table, all those things. Grace and I are in this period of, you know, in 21 months, our eldest is going to be off to college. And it's a, it's a countdown for us. When I've been asked the last month by several of you and in the church, oh, how are things going? How's your family? My first thing is we are in the mode of countdown because it's both a it's both a sad occasion, of course, you know, we're on borrowed time, but also it's a happy occasion. This is the time in which we had prepared them and to go off. And we've encouraged them, if you want to apply to a foreign school, go. To, a, to an abroad school, go and do that. Get that experience. Trusting that they're at home. We don't want them to stay at home. We want them to go and experience things. Come home, but don't live at home, okay? Don't live at home. Really, don't live at home. We'll welcome you. You'll have your room. But you're always at home in our heart and in the heart of God. And that's where, I think, from the very, uh, you know, from the time that they were born, right? 
We knew that, you know, there will come a time when we have to entrust them into the heart of God. Of course, from their birth, we always entrusted them in the heart of God, but even more so, physically and literally, you're off. And you're always going to be at home with us and in the very heart of God. And so to remain, to flourish, to pray for your enemies that they flourish. Now, why is it that it's important for the Babylonians to, quote, flourish? Why, why pray for your enemies? Why are the Israelites being called to remain in Babylon seven years and pray that they flourish? Because the scripture says there that when the Babylonians flourish, when they prosper, you prosper. What happens? Well, it's because that you want to ensure that there's at least some element of freedom. We'll get to the first Peter part. That even though that there's subjugation, oppression, captivity, and so forth, you want to be sure that there's at least some semblance of you're able to exercise a little bit of your faith. You at least have, you know, your next door neighbors, hey, can I borrow some sugar and not be shocked? Right? Yeah, that if they prosper, if your next door neighbor prospers, if they're able to work, if your fellow Babylonian next-door neighbor can work and buy sugar, buy flour, and so forth, that might be a basis for getting along. If, they don't, if they're not able to work, if they're not able to take care of their children, right, because we're all going to go to the same school, then we're all in trouble. If there's no school, then none of our children will get, you know, will get educated. If there is no place to, to work, well, then no one will work. If there's no place to buy groceries, then no one will have food on the table. That's what they're talking about. Good relationships and so forth, even as, wow, there's a countdown in our hearts. Okay, 70 years. Okay, T minus 69 years. Okay, T minus 68 years. Okay, but I'm still my, I'll still be a good neighbor. I'll still do what I need to do, still be the people of God, right? Attend to, the, attend to our Jewish festival and feast, not forgetting who we are, who I am, still listening to my mother and grandmother's stories about the Exodus, about the flood, about creation, not forgetting who we are, being a good neighbor. But inside, I'm praying. We're praying. T minus 68 more Thanksgiving dinners. Okay, we're already T-minus 10 years. Okay, almost there. At the same time, I'm still being a good neighbor until the promise is fulfilled and we can go home. That is what Jeremiah is talking about. And that is one, not the, one faithful response in being, having our life together with and in the world. One faithful response, not the faithful response. So let's jump over to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, Apostle Peter, is writing during a time of another empire, the Roman Empire. And <clears throat> by the time he writes, this is in the uh, late 1st century, after the Second Temple has been destroyed, and what is he saying here? He's saying, in, in essence, uh, in different translations, it says accept, it says honor, maybe in some it says respect the authority of every human institution, whether of the emperor as supreme or of governors, etc. So he talks about all authorities. Now, of course, his focus is on the emperor, Emperor Caesar, 
the Roman Empire, but any authority. At La Casa Glen, we were laughing because all authority could be the Social Security Administration, could be the paperwork that you submit to the insurance company, whether it be to Scripps and Sanitas, of that authority, whether it be to your boss, whatever might be the case, but especially those in power. Now, let's first affirm, right, that the first principle that's being taught here is, in general, we honor and respect those in governing authority, whether we agree or disagree with them. As a general principle, that's important. That's important for human affairs because it governing authorities, and here I'm not um, making a case for any particular style of government, but government in general and governing authorities, including hospital administrations, and yes, even the DMV, okay, and the TSA line at the airport, um, that they're to be respected. But there's a subset to that. Because what the Apostle Peter says is, what's the purpose of governments, of governing authorities? And there are two purposes. He says there, to punish those who do wrong and to praise those who do right. Governing authorities are there to help to keep order. for our human interactions. The founders of our democratic republic knew about that, right? I think in one of uh, James Madison's papers, right, if, if men and women were angels, we would not need governments. He writes, right? Governments are there in order, according to John Calvin, our great, the great founder of our Calvinist Presbyterian Reformed tradition, where he talks about the three uses of the law. One is to restrain evil, to restrain transgression and unlawlessness. Number two, to inspire us and to draw us to Christ, who is the one who is the perfect lawgiver and lawkeeper. And number three, to inspire us towards right living to follow Christ's righteousness, right? So those are the three purposes of the law as John Calvin and as we in the Presbyterian Reformed Calvinist tradition understand the purpose of law and by extension, government. So what happens then, we have to ask, if a government or a governing authority doesn't do those things, if a government doesn't restrain uh, wrongdoing and actually rewards wrongdoing and punishes those who do right, that is a key question. In the midst of that, the second principle is still do right. We as people of faith still do good. Exercise right duties and responsibilities as citizens, right? That's why Jesus talks about, teach, uh, teaches about paying your taxes, give unto Caesar what is due to Caesar, etc. Are there times in which protest is necessary? Are there times? Now, this 
This Bible study sermon series this fall is titled Life Together. The title of a book that Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that great uh, mid-20th century pastor in Germany, the title of his book was Life Together. Now, he was martyred for the faith. When he wrote that little book, and I would encourage you to download that book. It's free. on um, Just Google it. Look for Life Together PDF Bonhoeffer. Um, and he wrote that book for a group of seminarians in a, in a subversive, illegal seminary that he founded in Funkenwald, Germany. He was one among a, a group of pastors called the Confessing Church, capital C Confessing, Confessing Church, that openly protested and defied Hitler and Nazism when they saw that other Christians, the German Evangelical Church, when the German Evangelical Church looked at this passage in 1 Peter and said, well, if it says honor the emperor, then we have to honor Hitler. And Bonhoeffer and his colleagues felt, no, the gospel is at stake. We don't owe our allegiance to Hitler. We owe our allegiance to Jesus Christ alone. And what they did was, because other seminaries of the German Evangelical Church were banned, he then formed his own seminary. And so his little book, Life Together, is how do we retain our life together as a community as we're training future ministers to preach and teach the gospel of Jesus in the midst of persecution right here, right now, and into the future? What happened? The Gestapo comes, besieges the Fingenwald Seminary. It's disbanded. Bonhoeffer is hauled off to a concentration camp, and then he is eventually uh, martyred. Are there times and circumstances where protest is necessary? Notice how First Peter ends, and here's how we'll end. The principle, honor everyone. We're to honor everyone. We're not to use our freedom because Jesus Christ has given us freedom. Freedom to do what? To love God and to love neighbor. That's the freedom that we have. We're not to use that freedom and abuse it as a pretext for evil, to do evil one against another. That's another principle. Honor everyone in the freedom we have. The question is what happens when that freedom, the freedom of conscience, the freedom of worship and so forth, is impinged upon? Love the family of believers. We get that. Love each other in the Christian household, in the household of faith. Fear God, not as a lightning bolt fear, but honoring God, loving God as the holy God, and honor the emperor. Honor those in authority. So an open-ended question is, and a rhetorical question is, in what cases and in what circumstances and conditions is fleeing a faithful response? or staying and flourishing, or protesting and defying. It depends. 
But what is called for is the community to discern, to pray, and to discover what is God calling us to be and to do as a community remaining faithful to Christ, remaining faithful to His love as He is faithful to us in His love. Are there times, are there circumstances in which fleeing, flourishing, or protesting are proper, biblical, faithful responses? Yes. Which one of the three ought we to do? It depends. As the Lord calls us in different circumstances and seasons of life and faith. There we go. I probably raised more questions than answers. Let's have some conversation. I'm sure we're going to have some, uh, some conversation. Um, my thought about uh, when they were sent to Babylon for the 70 years, that is also when they started to write down everything about their faith, the, the, the books and that kind of thing. Their scholars decided they didn't want to lose mm -hmm. what they, you know, so that ga God gave them time to, to do that. The other thing is there was a remnant left. I mean, they, they took a lot of them back. Mm -hmm. So I really feel like God gives us all opportunities to make little groups and go off and plant the gospel other places. And the Jewish people have spread, have kept themselves um, within the faith, a remnant always has, mm -hmm. and, and it's all around the world. So that God gave them the job to teach about God, you know, and, and so everywhere he, he put them, there was somebody left so that they could break off and, you know, uh, promote God around the world. So that's another aspect of our, you know, whether we stay and flourish or we fight, we, we always have to promote the gospel, even in small groups mm -hmm. or in small places where we go. Mm -hmm. I, and it's just, it just, to me, that was an example of, you know, them, they were put over there in Babylon, and they produce something, you know? Right. Yeah. That's an excellent point. Notwithstanding the captivity, the deep challenges, uh, there, was, there was positive outcome in that, right? Putting the faith in, 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 in written form, continuing the, the tradition, the stories, the, the faith telling and faith sharing. Um, and that's what we're, we're called to do again and again. Um, I said at La Casa Glen yesterday of how whenever we see the community of faith persecuted, pressed on every side, there is an exponential growth of faith. Right? We see that in China. We see that in the Middle East, as Jack has recounted. Whenever, whenever in history that there is God's people, the community of faith, press upon, persecuted, etc. There is this growth of both faith in numbers as well as passion and conviction. Uh, and I think that's, that's due in, in large part of that we're being called to be in solidarity with the very suffering of Jesus himself, isn't it? We see in Jesus, I think, all three movements of flight, flourish, protest in his life, death, resurrection. Fourth, uh, when Jack told the story about the pastor in Syria mm -hmm. who first wanted to stay, the head pastor, 
And then he realized that a number of his congregation would refuse to leave. If, if he stayed, they would also stay with him. And uh, this would have been disastrous for all of them. So they did leave, find safety, and, and they survived, and now they're able to go back mm -hmm. and start the church again. Whereas if they had stayed, they surely would have been executed by ISIS. Mm -hmm. Good point, yeah. So it's, yeah, in that it's, it, 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 can, it can be a conflict. Right. It, can, it can be a, a, a juxtaposition of what should I do or should I go, should I stay? But right. I think they made the right decision. Yeah. I know they did the right decision. Precisely, and that's, and that's precisely it, right? Each, each circumstance and condition will be discerned by the community. In that case, in, in Syria, yeah, that uh, pastor in that community picked up in order to be planted someplace else. Many of you know that I, um, that I teach in the Philippines as a visiting professor in August, um, every August, and my students, Philippine pastors, who are openly protesting to, um, against the Duterte presidency, right, and his so-called war on drugs and so forth, and carrying out extrajudicial killings, where many pastors have been either kidnapped or killed, and it's a whole different context. When I hear stories of my students talking about how they're, you know, living out faith, caring for their congregation and their, and their villages, and at the same time, openly protesting, knowing that their very um, life and their families are at stake, right? That's their response. So a pastor and a community in Syria will respond in a different way. And a pastor and their congregation in the Philippines will respond in yet another way. I think what came to my mind, and it's what we talk about all the time, is living out our faith and walking in our faith. And a lot of times it's easy to, um, when everything is good, I think this is just another example of God saying, okay, I know this isn't what you would want, or I know this is difficult, I know it's painful, mm -hmm. but this is when you really need to reach deep down inside and actually walk your faith mm -hmm. because... Um, when people see that, then they have a better understanding because it's easy to, when everything is perfect to be a happy, good Christian, right? But when you can go out and be a happy, good Christian when things are hard and difficult, life is hard, it, I think, makes other people understand what it's like to be and do what God actually asks us to do. You're right. That's what I say, yeah. In the, in the times, as Lisa said, of hardship, that's where we really see, wow, this is what our faith is about, what we're made of. And um, let me underscore the, the, the fact that when Jeremiah writes you, he's talking about the you community, isn't it? And so that in the times when we feel, wow, my faith, our faith is being challenged, that's where the community, the Israelite community, where the church supports and encourages each other. In the faith. That's why we gather together so many times, right? To encourage each other because life is hard. Um, and faith requires that, that nurture and that encouragement in, in and by community. Has become so inclusive. Is that the word I'm looking for? Um, that the word of God is not being carried out in many places. And I, I don't see a lot of protesting from Christians happening today. And that makes me really sad. Question is, uh, or the comment about there's not enough protesting uh, going on. There's a lot of protesting. 
there's a lot of protesting happening uh, in many, many parts. Uh, it's, um, we don't see placards out here of protest, but there are protests. There are protests happening. Uh, people who are putting their life and limb um, on the line. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's there. It's there. It's there. Thank you. I hope I speak well. Pastor, only today um, in Jeremiah 29, mm. verse 7, mm-hmm. when God bring me here to United States, mm-hmm. I only ask him, God, what happened with me? What need to do for you? And then God showed me this verse 7. Mm-hmm. He, he can, can, I pray in all time for this, this war, but my community. Because I am living now here. He only I can say you, everybody, I love you so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am here for the service. Mm-hmm. That's it, Pastor, only. Wonderful. Thank you. We're glad you're here, Yaya. Yeah. Yeah, when Yaya emigrated from Mexico and so forth. Yeah. Verse 7 of Jeremiah 29 spoke powerfully to her. The the question that hit me was when you were talking about Bonhoeffer Mm -hmm. and his um, decision, basically, to follow his Lord instead of the uh, emperor, essentially, right? Mm -hmm. And... And in situations like that where he was also met within his own religious uh, community, right? Mm-hmm. With people that said, no, he was wrong. You know, that they should follow the emperor mm-hmm. as... Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and uh, many other situations, I'm sure, where that happens. That there's right. a decision to be made. Right. Um, how, and, of course, we all can now look back at it and say, of course right. he was right. To do what he did, but um, but you know at that time I often you you know you wonder about that you know how do, how do how do they make that decision? Right. Pray. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I should also add I didn't add a very important detail that Bonhoeffer um, allied himself with a group of other pastors who were plotting the assassination of Hitler, right? And so that's what ultimately led to to his being um, being killed. And we leave that to the judgment of history and so forth. Was he right to defy and then to take that ultimate step, planning, right, the, uh, you know, to take down Hitler by, by violence and force. Um, again, there are many examples of folks who protest um, um, in a way that it's not in that form. But again, uh, we have the privilege of hindsight to say, you know, X, Y, Z. Um, but that, I think, is one among many examples of what is the response of a, of a f- Christian community who know the scriptures, who know the Bible, who know God, know Jesus, love, love by God, love by Jesus, who discern, and it wasn't just him, but a group of other folks, who openly defy, right? Um, and so we'll just leave it at that, yeah. Our uh, ministry in Egypt, Mm -hmm. Uh, Egypt is an example where the Christians 
uh, are alive and well and mm -hmm. flourishing, right. have wonderful churches. They go out and make new churches. Right. Uh, they follow the laws. They don't actively protest. Uh, they, they try to be good citizens. And the, uh, I just want us all to be aware of that ministry in, in Egypt, the Sat7, mm -hmm. the satellite ministry to Christians in Egypt, as well as other parts of the Middle East, and uh, our evangelical um, seminary there in Cairo. So uh, keep that in your prayers, and they will be uh, obvious and evident at the um, market on Christian Sunday. Yeah. A good final plug to the ACM. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Well, as you disperse, um, why don't we look to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we're uh, so grateful that in the midst of life's and faith's challenges, um, you abide with us still, and you strengthen us and nurture us and encourage us in, in community, that we can spur each other on, that we can be reminded again and again of being the community, of being ones who have been redeemed in Jesus Christ and who are called and empowered by your Spirit to live faithfully and to bear witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're grateful, Lord, for your people of all ages throughout every generation who are and have been faithful to you and to your call. Keep us ever mindful, Lord, of your, of your church in every place and their witness in every condition and circumstance that we would be in solidarity with them in prayer, in faith, in hope, and in love. Keep us faithful, Lord. Continue to encourage us. And now bless my friends here, Lord, as they go into small groups. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>